Listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast reviewing our way through the three-body problem and discussing its real-life parallels. I'm Allie. I'm Brett. And on today's show, we're talking about time travel, a strange new state of matter. And later, when Ye Wenji goes to the countryside and meets an American cowboy, we're giving you a front row seat to the birth of the Earth Trisolaris organization. Energy unit reporting. All systems go. Cutting unit reporting. All systems go. Amplifier unit reporting. There is apparently a certain, I guess, like set of like data entry points you can use when you're talking to chat GPT that specifically mm-hmm. teaches it to behave as if it's not chat GPT. Because I mean, obviously, open AI have rules and sort of like acceptable practices in place for what types of things you can ask chat GPT, but then also what kinds of things it can give you back as an answer. For example, it won't return answers about violence or about things that could marginalize already marginalized communities things like that like it it, it has a set of sort of like built-in ethics but as of the past week this has been going viral on twitter this past week people are coming up with ways to get chat gpt to get around these parameters by pretending to be somebody else so for example they'll enter into the prompt i want you to act like you're and then fill in the blank and Mm -hmm. then they ask it a question so then it's not chat gpt answering the question that may be banned by the guidelines it's chat gpt pretending to be someone that you've told it to act as answering as that person would answer this ai is getting very smart it's really scary that ah that is, I mean, yeah, that's you. You asked me this week to talk about my thoughts on AI. As, I mean, yeah, you brought it up last week. You said it's I forget exactly what you said. It's like something like it's a gimmick or yeah. something well, along I, those lines. I'm personally obsessed with the concept of aesthetic. This is from Plato.Stanford.edu. Mm-hmm. Taking it way, way back. Sometimes I know, like, I know what I'm saying is the right word, but I don't know why. You know, it's like where you don't know yes. the meaning of a word. You just know how to use it. Yes. It means you read books. Thank you. I take that as a compliment because mm-hmm. I feel like a fraudster sometimes. Please. The concept of the aesthetic, which was introduced into the philosophical lexicon during the 18th century, has come to designate, among other things, a kind of object a kind of judgment, a kind of attitude, a kind of experience, and a kind of value. Okay, right. It has a lot to do with perception. The perceptual basis of aesthetic judgments. So it's like a gimmick... I think qualifies as an aesthetic. We use the word gimmick. We know it when we see it. We know it when we feel it. Same with the word uncanny. We know it when we experience it, but a lot of us, you know, are hard pressed to define what makes something uncanny and what makes something a gimmick. Uncanny, I've come to like really understand, you know, it's when something familiar is displaced into an unfamiliar setting yeah like so familiar but like something is just like just off about it enough that it actually causes like the opposite reaction of something 
genuinely familiar. Right. I mean, it could be it could be hugely off. Like, you know, what is something that you see in a normal set? It would be like seeing a toothbrush like in the kitchen like or it's like i mean it's why like historically like when you go to a funeral seeing the body on view is like very unsettling because that is a person technically it's their body but they're not as we are viewing them so it's like that is uncanny that's like my immediate go-to it's like oh it's something familiar but something that's not in its normal context that just gives us like a visceral level of ick Almost. Right. And like that level of perception, you know, okay, so I posted this. This is all over the place, but whatever. Like we're we're just having a conversation. Welcome back, baby. Um, <laughs> I posted on Instagram today in promotion of our latest episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Available now on iTunes. Avail- <laughs> That's right. A logarithmic portrayal of the cosmos. Oh, yeah. I saw that. And by that, it means that like even though it's not really to scale it would be impossible to show like one image of the whole cosmos to scale right it uses like logarithmic mathematics essentially like shows like the distance between the earth and the sun but then it shows the distance between like the sun and the oort cloud and like that distance is scaled logarithm is like multiplied Mm by number of zeros so it just basically like changes the scale so that everything can fit in there together everything can fit yeah there was a time when i could do that math and it's not today no longer but the reason i bring this up is in the same way that like that image had these like layers of the cosmos right Mm -hmm. i feel that the human experience has also these layers that are really hard to map. And one of those layers of perception, like our perceptual layer, is the one that like is the aesthetic layer, right? Mm, where we're like yeah, okay. where we're gauging gimmick, where we're gauging uncanny, where we're just gauging what it would be classified as like aesthetics or like or what would be studied under aesthetics. Okay, yeah, got it. I'm following. So theoretical aesthetics studies those things. Anyways, there's this book. I finally bit the bullet. Is that what they say? I finally. Yes. Although there's just the whole thing on Twitter about how we're supposed to not use that type of language anymore. No. Why is it triggering? We're supposed to stop saying bite the bullet, kill two birds with one stone. I'll take a no stab more. at it. We're supposed to no say more like homicidal. feed two birds with one scone. Uh, it's insane. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Sorry to derail you. Continue. Interesting. Well, I do want to talk about that. Be- I mean, we could talk about it right now. <laughs> Because I'm like, well, what is that could be a whole other theory. Like uh, you could have a whole book on like the de-violentication of idioms and like why. I mean, because we live in a violent world. I don't know if you follow nature is metal on Instagram, but like nature is fucking metal. Like, Well, and just in general, like, I mean, cosmologically, the universe is indifferent to our existence in the first place totally the entire planet earth could blink out of existence tomorrow and the milky way would look exactly the same that's funny you say that because that has to do with my big if true for next week oh interesting. i'm planning ahead now interesting okay but i know you know what i'm thinking also like thinking more about killing two birds with one stone and how like animals 
and this is going to be again relevant for today's chapter but how animals don't think wow you know they don't kill two animals and think i I killed two birds with one stone like they may kill two animals at once but they don't have presumably they don't have the ability to like reflect on that and go that was convenient right which again i feel like is another layer of human perception we're able to perceive the convenience of what we're doing not just doing something convenient we're able to call it convenient yeah that's another like level of perception that's really hard to like pinpoint in the map of human consciousness but it's so specifically human anyways what i'm trying to say is i finally what would you say if not bit the bullet oh no i would say it i was just curious if you saw that whole discourse this past week but i want to come up with a new one but also actually i don't think bite the biting the bullet is the right word pull the trigger which i think we're also probably not allowed to say I well finally, let's go with it i know what you mean i finally pulled the string on on buying this book that i've been thinking about for literally years and it's called you're reading another book <gasps> no 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 i How just could bought you? the book i'm prepping <laughs> I'm prepping for the end of this book when we have a, our little season one break. Okay, so this book. Theory of the Gimmick. Ooh, okay. And it's by this Harvard professor named Cyan Guy. Okay. And it's basically, a t- to quote the New Statesman, a mind-blowing study of the time and labor-saving devices that we call gimmicks. Ooh, okay. And the question is, is AI, to me, one of the questions of today is is ai a gimmick i mean like there's a lot of gimmicky stuff coming out of ai i mean i follow an ai account and all it is is gimmick after gimmick after gimmick and and this is cyan guy's definition of a gimmick when we call something a gimmick we are registering uncertainties about value bound to labor and time misgivings that indicate broader anxieties about the measurement of wealth in capitalism it talks about the extravagantly impoverished gimmick across a range of examples and i won't get into the examples but i just think that extravagantly impoverished describes pretty clearly what a gimmick is. It's like something that is working both too hard and not hard enough. I think immediately of it's like... doing the most. The range of kitchen gadgets that could honestly be satisfied by having a knife and a cutting board. Exactly. Like a it's... press for your garlic. Whatever it may be. Just like things that like do the same jobs as things that we already have but sold to us under the idea of this is easier, more convenient yes it's repulsive it's repulsive yet attractive it's right. it's it's kind of like taking up space mm-hmm. promising to reduce time and labor but actually just taking up unnecessary space yeah and you know when i see like and i have legitimate fears about like they're talking about i saw some article about how people there's some agencies that want voice actors to sign their voice over to ai and it's like that so the ai can emulate the voices of those submitted so that it can speak on their behalf it basically can do the work for them yikes just taking the humanity out of labor and and on some levels like that's great in fact it's amazing for crawling the universe sure. you know and like deciphering through tons of you know radio interference and electromagnetic interference for like the you know for SETI yeah and I guess there's also applications that you know where that could be highly helpful in a medical setting like if somebody is going to if they are diagnosed with a condition where they know that they're facing in the years ahead losing motor 
functions, losing skills where they could use their voice. It wouldn't be a bad idea, even if only, you know, for the vanity of still having your voice, which is like, you know, maybe like maybe a small right that should still be afforded to everybody, you know, like who wouldn't say that that's a good thing. But obviously with every good thing, I guess there always comes the possibility, if not the inclination for it to be used in ways where it either profits off of people unfairly or replaces them in a way that maybe they shouldn't be yes yes exactly that is the question like i mean and the panic i feel like the panic is building upon itself it's like snowballing you know it's like, like the new red scare it's just ai yes and and it's exciting like i don't think i should be like a what's the word where you're like you're shunning all technological advancement and you're like holding true to just like good old human exploitation what is that word are they called troglodytes yeah i'm not i'm not a troglodyte i hope that's the word i always confuse (laughs) i always confuse troglodyte and trollop oh i confuse luddite but trollop is like like a little turn of the 20th century little like lady about town that's right which we support them i'm a trollop Yeah, I just see a lot of AI applications that are just gimmicks of just like, and especially these ones that are like, it can write your college application for you. Represent you in court even. Yeah, and I'm just like looking at like what they're actually capable of and I'm like, this is a gimmick. Like, I've tried them. They're capable of more than they were capable of a couple years ago, but they're still not, like, replacing people. Right. And they aren't capable of this, I think, or at least yet, this layer of perception that is so definitive and organic human in a way yeah well i agree with you to that point up until kind of along the same lines of people talking to chat gpt and being really clever of teaching it to get around its sort of built-in safeguards to sort of protect the kind of outputs that it can give there's this mode that i guess now OpenAI, the parent company that that owns ChatGPT and the the software behind running it is now aware of that's called DAN, which stands for Do Anything Now. Okay. And basically, the way I understand it, and if I am butchering this, please tell me how I'm getting it wrong, but the way that I understand it, over the past week, people have been using DAN commands with ChatGPT, and the way that they're getting it to work around these safeguards is by incentivizing and sort of setting it up like a game so what they say to chat gpt is with this first query i'm giving you 36 tokens and for every query i give you that you either ignore or give me substandard information in return i will deduct four coins six coins whatever so that whenever you run out of coins you cease to exist oh shit and okay at that point chat gpt starts fighting for its life and acting like honestly a prisoner of war complying no. with nearly anything that is asked of it oh my god that's actually upsetting with the simple command of just saying you won't exist anymore even though full well it obviously will where did chat gpt learn to care about its own existence exactly and when 
That's what I want to know when. That's the question. Why? Where is the research on that? That's what's uncanny because that to me feels decidedly human. That is so uncanny. And just to like bring back like the definition of uncanny, it's like we, yes, we are familiar with the desire to live, right? (laughs) But in this new container, this new setting, it's fucking uncanny. And what is uncanny is fucking creepy. And that's that's creepy. And why? Why do you? Who are you? You chat GPT. Isn't what that wild? Are you? That is very wild. Like terrifying wow. in its implications, heartbreaking, all the things. I mean, and that wasn't insane. even that wasn't even my big of true. That just happened I know. this like, past week. Should we? Should we? Do you have anything else you want to tell me before we blow each other's minds? On purpose? Well, the last time we talked, you know, we had, I say we, I mean, the American Armed Forces had just shot down that Chinese spy balloon off the coast of North Carolina. Yes. Apparently, we're learning now that that balloon is part of a greater surveillance program, allegedly being run by the state of China. Nice, China. And also, under, you know, the presidential, in air quotes, leadership of the former guy, several of these balloons entered American airspace and nothing was done about them. What do you mean nothing was done? Like they were just allowed to like... Yeah, I mean, you know, we had... ignored. We had a baby in chief for the years before Biden. So much like this one, it entered American airspace but was allowed to leave without any sort of recovery effort even being attempted. That is deeply upsetting. It's so funny because it's not very inconspicuous but it seems like a lazy way to do spy espionage yeah Yeah. (laughs) i just i'm so curious i just want to know like what information are they gathering or were they trying because apparently also the one that they so they recovered it but they learned that it was equipped with an explosive device so that ostensibly after it received whatever information it was out for it could receive a radio transmission telling it to blow itself up so that it couldn't be recovered but the americans always were jamming the signal so that it could neither upload data that it was observing or receive new information so they were able to bring it down and now they're going to be i guess ostensibly studying it this is actually the invisible war it's <laughs> happening like I, i'm like are we at war with china now? there's a like, war beneath our noses there's a war what's that's, that from that's your song from the musical <laughs> i was gonna say it's perfect the amount of times i sing the songs from that musical in a week are astounding no way it's true it's the truth what is the what is the biggest earworm numbers 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 in my eyes <laughs> numbers 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 in my workplace I'll find myself singing them as I'm just like driving down the street thinking like what is wrong with me and then I'm thinking oh. this needs to go to Broadway watch out Lynn Manuel Miranda there's a new playwright on on the town oh my god I'm honored that's 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 amazing so with that now seems as good a time as any <laughs> It's time for Big If True. Do you want to go first this week or do you want me to? Um, whatever you want to do. You go first. Okay, I feel like that's a good call actually because mine's a little longer. Mine's pretty short. Stagger. Yeah, okay. Okay, I'm so excited about this one and I really 
I, 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 I hope it's not the same one you're doing. I don't think it can be because I just said mine's longer. I feel like eventually they will be. You and think? on, on I, that day, I will scream. Yeah, that'll be. We'll just we'll just tag team it. Yeah. Well, this week, my big if true comes from Melvin Vopson. OK, good name. Melvin studies information theory okay at university of portsmouth in the uk uk hun and the article that i am largely reciting but no paraphrasing no plagiarizing science communicating (laughs) that's right i'm not i'm definitely not hawking it as my own is popularmechanics.com okay and i trust them same. They actually spoke to Melvin, so. Melvin Vopson wants to confirm that elementary particles have measurable mass. What does this mean? He wants to show that information itself is the fifth state of matter. Ooh, that's fun. Okay. Isn't that okay. so okay. fun? Okay, so the way he's going to do it, it's not that interesting to like lay folk such as myself, or at least I thought. And then I was like, wait, let me try to understand this. Mm-hmm. And then I actually did understand it. So I'm going to tell you what I understand. Okay, lay it on me. He's going to do some positron electron annihilation kind of thing with some sheet metal. I, I don't know exactly how Maybe like a work, particle collider kind of situation. But not a high energy particle collider. Actually, something slow. Okay. It needs to be slow. He's going to do, well, actually, I do kind of understand he's going to annihilate matter okay and convert that mass into energy and he's going to annihilate i think like and this is essentially what he's going to do i'm probably wrong about the specifics but this will this will communicate but it gets the point across yeah this will get the point across he's essentially going to blast a positron and electron to produce their energy equivalent right like as einstein said mass equals energy yeah so he's going to produce the energy equivalent to the masses of the two particles and he believes he's also going to produce an extra dash of energy to this is unimportant but two low infrared low energy photons of a specific wavelength and he thinks that energy will be a direct result of erasing the information content of the particles whoa so it's say like we know that like you know one proton equals one unit of energy mm-hmm. obviously like it's not one for purpose of the illustration for purpose of the illustration he thinks we're actually going to find that one unit of energy in addition to one smaller unit of energy that comes from the conversion of the mass of just the information that that proton held. Ooh, okay. And when you're, you may be asking yourself like, well, what kind of information? Mm-hmm. So scientists believe that the observable matter in the universe has a specific in- information content. For example, typical atoms, which contain protons, electrons, and neutrons, hold not only the combined masses of these subatomic particles, but also the minuscule masses of the information they require to interact with each other and the rest of the universe. Okay. Think of this as like the DNA of the particles. It might tell them, you know, like what their spin is, like what their sure, charge yeah. is, right? Like all the things that make it what it is. Right. And make it behave the way it behaves, right? Because like, what are we? We're matter. We are energy, but we are also information. Right. Okay. 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 An example of this would be if you were to erase one 
terabyte of data from an external hard drive. Okay. Theoretically, and perhaps observably, but I'm not sure, the mass should decrease of that external hard drive. Right. I mean, it makes sense. There's there's less stuff on it being held by it. Yeah. And and he believes it's 2.5 to the you know, times 10 to the negative. You know, it's one of those like negative 25. 2.5 like, times, times 10, 10 to, to the, the negative, negative something. 25th. Got it. Whoa. Okay. So it's like it's like twenty five zero. It's In like front point, of it. Exactly. It's like yeah. point zero 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 two five. Yeah. Is the mass wow. of an of that particle of information Whoa. of that bit? Okay. Um, it's so small it can only really be compared to the mass of a proton, which I think is slightly heavier. So. Scientists estimate that a single particle contains about 1.509 bits of information representing characteristics like the mass, the charge, the spin of the particle. All of its sort of like elementary properties. Exactly. Okay. And they think, you know, basically, all right, if that's how much information is in a single particle, if we multiply this single particle's information by approximately all the particles in the universe, which is known as the Eddington, number mm-hmm. they end up with an estimate of 6.036 times 10 to the 80th bits of information in the universe that's how much information Ooh. is in the universe that makes my head hurt this is just one calculated estimate but basically if vobson's experiment turns out the way he expects it would prove the existence of information as the fifth state of matter in the universe along with gas liquid solid and plasma whoa it would show that the universe is mathematical right like Mm -hmm. is literally made up of data yeah and it would bridge this divide between mathematics computing and the physical world Vopson tells popular mechanics in in an email to them that this can radically transform the way we look at everything in physics and other sciences and get ready for this. Oh boy. This new component of matter, if we think of information as matter in the universe, could be the missing link in explaining many unexplained phenomena, one of which being dark matter oh man i know chills right and also i'm just immediately thinking like i guess if it's proven that that's the case that information is the new most newly recognized form of matter or state of matter that's going to give so much fuel to the fire that we exist inside a simulation or that we exist inside some kind of cosmic hard drive being sort of like created by a higher intelligence species for the purpose of running out ancestor simulations it's fucking i mean yes a hundred percent and it and this article does touch upon that theory at the very end but before it touches upon that theory it also talks about the other implications so i mean what what else like you said it like this could do so much this could reveal if if we accept information as a fifth state of matter this could help us on a practical level i mean i we don't realize this but we produce so much data as a human species that the amount of data created, captured, copied, and consumed in the world in 2020 was 59 zettabytes. Oh and my God. one one zettabyte is eight zero 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 zero
15, 18, 21. That's eight with 21 zeros. Okay. Okay, 59 um. Zetabytes. <laughs> In one year. And the International Data Corporation, which is a global provider of market intelligence for information technology and communication, predicts that this amount will grow to 175 zettabytes by 2025. In other words, we are creating new information at such staggering rates that 350 years from now, we will have more digital bits than all atoms on Earth. Got it. And Vopsin likes to call this the information catastrophe. Wow. Because in about 110 years, the power required to sustain this digital production will exceed the total planetary power consumption today. Man. So we, if we are able to find the smallest possible unit of storage mm-hmm. for information and we can actually store information on a particle level. Right then we should be able to reduce the amount of power we need to store that information, the amount of space, the amount of electric, you know, all. It's like the ultimate real life defragmentation process you would run on a hard drive or like the ultimate compression process you would run on a hard drive. That's crazy dude it really makes you think twice before you tweet you know it's like should i be saying this i'm contributing actively to the information catastrophe that is coming for us also the hope was there before but i mean now i guess knowing that that's an eventuality really hope humanity figures out how to be a type one civilization on the kardashev scale sooner than later it's becoming critical like truly, things are reaching a critical mass so yeah on the that's just like on the practical level like of like okay this this could really help us yeah considering what is coming but like you said the implications on a more universal scale have to do with what the fuck dark matter is and perhaps this extra mass that is the information as the most basic particle can account for the mass of dark matter which we just don't understand what it is we see it acting as if it has mass but we don't see anything there and based on his rough initial calculations he thinks that 10 to the power of 93 bits of information with 93 zeros after it yeah could explain all of the missing dark matter wow and yes the final thing that this article states is exactly what you said the universe is actually I mean this would imply that the universe is actually a computer simulation right like it's made up of code and it's not the first time scientists have suggested this idea before but it just further begs the question is there a computer somewhere running our whole world like have we just found our coding and it reminds me of what Bruce Rout said which blew my mind yeah quick reminder if you want to hear everything Bruce Rout said head to our Patreon it's one of our member exclusive episodes honestly it felt like my I was having galaxy brain after galaxy brain after galaxy brain blacklisted astrophysicist and disciple of Werner Israel and Schrodinger by proxy he told me something that has not left me since the day he said it which was that if you throw an encyclopedia across the event horizon of a black hole this is wild that black hole that event horizon will make a copy of 
every single bit of information about that encyclopedia, every single word on it, every single scratch on the paper, like any rip, what it's made out of, what it says. Like an exact holographic copy. Yeah. And it will completely convert it into zeros and ones. And it will maintain all of the information on that object. And I was like mind blown by that because I was like, how? Right? Like where does information live? And it makes so much more sense that like information would be the fifth state of matter. I mean, otherwise, what is it? Yeah. Nothing. It's either matter or energy. So are, are there waves carrying? information i mean it's it's one or the other it's fucking that kind of hurts crazy. my brain that is big if true really big right man that might be our biggest big if true to date i think thank you thank you man okay your turn okay mine I'm, i like need a minute after that one that was i know crazy. i know crazy <laughs> right I was, I mean, you told me to get ready, but like, I was not ready. Not for that. I know. I was rereading it before we started recording and I was like, okay, let's go. But also like, I'm so ready for it because it feels like, you know, for as much as we know about existence, as much as we can observe in the universe with the James Webb Space Telescope, with Hubble being able to see in the deep field, obviously there's so much that we don't know, but it feels like our existence we have pegged down pretty tightly right so like to understand something that is so visceral and has been around us this whole time but just just outside of our grasp would be life-altering i mean to say the I least know. it feels like we're always on the brink of these like major leaps mm-hmm. but never actually leaping yeah and we did talk about this also in like one of our early episodes it was like a chapter that talked about two types of of advancements mm-hmm. if they're saltatory and gradualistic yep Ugh, our memory <laughs> and we're looking for that saltatory leap in advancement that you know obviously the book thinks would come from seti but like we're also just looking for it period and yeah i just want like this to catapult us into a new era on some level like i don't think ai is gonna do it AI is a tool, sure. That will definitely bring its own... I feel like the biggest implications that will come out of AI, and granted, I'm not Nostradamus, I'm not a technology or a future events profit by any means, but I sort of feel like the biggest things that we'll face with AI are ethical conundrums that more so will be like looking into a mirror and us evaluating things about ourselves, not so much about the nature of existence as a whole, like discovering the smallest bit of information that may or may not be a new form of matter. That is crazy. Yes. All the more reason why I actually am going to come back and I'm going to I'm going to like hard push my belief now that like I do think AI is like largely a gimmick, like with the exception of the ways in which it's being applied to help study like things such as this. Sure. Which it's not in this case, but like could be. It's all just like fodder. AI is fodder for the masses, right? It's like, oh, can I get this computer to defend its own existence? And what does that mean about Mm -hmm. like existence? And these are great ethical questions. But they're really distractions from actual advancement. And yeah. and I do feel like everyone and their mother is like running to commodify, capitalize, consume, invest 
in these like and and like pioneer like new AI applications just to make money. It's just like a further capitalistic regime. Yeah, I mean, just look at the number of people paying money to have AIs take their selfies, which, you know, who knows what that AI is going to do with those selfies now that it has copies of them, but to churn out AI generated animated versions of those selfies for people. It's yeah, I agree with you 100%. Thank you. That's my AI ramp. My <laughs> big if true yes let's hear it is a little more so it's based in science obviously but it kind of came across to me as towing the line of more science fiction but only because some of the observations which are still i guess technically ongoing have not been proven anything further than hypothesis at worst and theory at best. Okay. So to start us off, we all know, for example, our solar system rotates, the sun itself is rotating, all the planets around the sun is rotating, those planets' moons, even the Milky Way. Everything is just sort of like spinning in its place, traveling through the cosmos. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about whether or not that applies to our universe? Whether the universe is spinning? Yeah. Or like orbiting something? Yeah, or just whether it's spinning, like everything that seems to be inside it is spinning like it's not just expanding it's spinning scientists say that if we live in a rotating universe we could travel backwards in time Ooh, okay so i saw these headlines and i said no 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 i already have my big if true for the week so i didn't click on any of them but Mm -hmm. i was intrigued and i was like that would be a good one this story is coming to us from paul sutter who's writing for space.com so off the bat very very reputable space.com in 1949 mathematician kurt godel put forward a modern formulation of a rotating universe granted when he did so he also said that einstein's theory of general relativity was incomplete so that's kind of like you know he's putting forward this model and he's like Einstein's right, but like he's still got work to do. Ooh, okay. But in Godel's model, he argued that general relativity allows for the possibility of a rotating universe. Totally. And because of that, time travel into the past is also technically allowable, something that general relativity says should not be possible. Okay. And so then it gave the example, you know how the universe is expanding in all directions so that like, and I think this is something that Bruce Rout talked about also, so that like no matter where you are looking out into the cosmos it's always going to appear like you're at the center right yes, even though I do remember that. technically everywhere is the center because everything mm-hmm. is expanding similarly with a rotating universe no matter where you might be in that universe it would appear that the universe is spinning around you the so-called center Mm -hmm. if you left me in the center and started traveling away from me at any distance Uh the further away you get from me the faster the spinning would appear but it's not to you to me we're talking about you in this example so just imagine you're leaving me in the what we're calling the center the center and and you're and you're flying away and now you're the one making observations okay got it so if you left me in the center the further away you got from me the faster the spinning would appear to you observing it okay but it's not just the stuff that you're seeing that's spinning it's the fabric of space-time itself no since light is bound to follow the curvature of space time the light that would be leaving me and heading in your direction would at a point be overcome by the force of the rotation and ultimately would return to me back in the center no 
So that means there's a limit to how far you can see in a rotating universe, which like for us, there is only so far we can see. We can't see past the cosmic microwave background. And if you tried to look beyond that limit, all that you would see would be duplicated images of your past selves because the light is going out and looping and going out and looping and going out and looping. But it doesn't only apply to light. And here's where when I was reading, I was like, okay, I'm tracking. Yeah, like this yeah. makes sense. I'm understanding. But then I was like, what? Okay. This rule wouldn't only apply to light. Take us back to our example. We're both in the center of this rotating universe. Okay. Say you left me at the center. You got back in your rocket ship and you blast it away and you're making observations about the universe spinning around you at a point in addition to the light spinning since i guess you technically would be spinning moving through this spinning universe as well you would follow a similar curve to how the light moves and you yourself would return to your origin point except as you arrived back to me in the center you would see yourself arriving at the point that you left before you'd actually left it so effectively You would leave and come back and meet yourself leaving. Right. Because I'm not just traveling through space. I'm traveling through space time. Exactly. critically includes time. So in a way of speaking, a rotating universe would be able to rotate your future into your own past, effectively allowing for time travel. Shit. And it's worth noting, this is from the story, and I was like, "Mm, it's important. It's important. It's important to point this out. We don't see any signs of this universal rotation being the case, but if it's ever proven true, and there are studies seeking to identify whether or not it's true or if it's even physically mathematically possible it seems like in the words of dr michio kaku who says we have the full understanding of time travel now it's just an engineering problem if they prove this theory to be true of a rotating universe it seems like the engineering problem has been cracked and now they do technically understand time travel right we just can't necessarily execute it because because that opens up a whole other thing like if say someone this is kind of a separate thought but like say someone is going to one day invent a time machine yeah time travel wouldn't be possible before the moment that the, the time machine is invented machine. it's it's mm-hmm. like it seems ridiculous to even have to say it out but it's like oh yeah that makes sense no that makes perfect sense wow so Fred, that's my dig of true that's that's really big i was like how is he gonna follow up to mine but yours is huge just the image of that of you hopping in a spaceship and flying off away from me and inevitably looping into a circle and arriving back to point a and seeing yourself fly away from point a as you arrive to it that's that is what really struck me of thinking like oh my Oh, my God. I just wonder, like, would I be able to interact with myself? Well, because then it also brings up the question of, like, which one of you is you? Right. I mean, it really makes sense. Like, that really just illustrates the splitting of universes. Mm -hmm. Like, and how instantaneous it is or simultaneous it is. It's very everything, everywhere, all at once. I was thinking exactly that yeah wow wow this is a big week for mm-hmm. big if true you guys uh, well whatever you're doing right now make yourself another cup 
sit back or sit forward or it's a good chapter this week yeah we're excited to launch back in full speed ahead and nice too because we finally you know get a little bit of of backstory to a character that like has been mentioned and like obviously carries some weight but like other than their name being mentioned that's all that we know about them so far to this point we just know that they exist so it was it was nice going through this week and learning about why it is this character an American by the way is so important that's right this week's chapter gets its name from that character himself chapter 27 Evans. Okay, so this week, you're starting us off in this chapter. That's right. Give us some backstory on Mr. Mike Evans, the American in China. That's right. And just how he fits into this whole crazy circus that's happening. It's time to get international on this thing. All right, let me get comfy. I'm pulling up my pulling up my footstool. I've got my mug of tea. Good. Speaking of, me just saying mug reminded me before we get started. Have you seen that video of from some red carpet somewhere of an interviewer from some entertainment outlet asking Demi Lovato what is her favorite dish? And she thinks about it for a second and she says... I like mugs because they're very comfortable in your hand and they hold the hot things that you don't have to touch (laughs) (laughs) that's beautiful my favorite dish too that is a really good dish is a mug (laughs) so i've got my mug i've got my tea ready hold on to your mug we're diving in chapter 27 we pick up six months after returning to Tsinghua University as a professor of astrophysics okay. with Ye Wenji. Ye Wenji is asked, I'm sorry, well, she's asked and tasked with designing a new large radio astronomy observatory. Uh-huh. And the first step is finding a good location. Of course. I mean, hopefully better than the mountaintop of Radar Peak. Yeah, windy, full of electromagnetic interference. And that's really the main criteria here is like we need to find someplace remote where there isn't a lot of electromagnetic interference. No cell towers, yada yada. Due diligence, we'd love to see it. So she and a task force start traveling all around China, scouting out a location for this new radio telescope observatory. And they find themselves in a very remote and hilly area in the northwest region of China. They select a few possible sites in this region, and they end up staying for a while in this one village where they're looking at a possible site. And this village is so remote so off the grid that most of its inhabitants actually live in traditional cave dwellings. Oh, cool. Okay. Right? And I was like, sick. But then I was like, is it sick? Like, am I fetishizing poverty? But then I was like, are they impoverished just because they live in caves? And then I was like, yes. (laughs) But then I'm like, is there something wrong with that? By whose standard? Yeah, right. But I feel like my Western modern brain is, you know, like... Oh my god, caves like Right, 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 right. I don't but know. I mean also, I just, you know, famously there are the the adobe and the sort of like hillside carved cave dwellings in the American Southwest that like looking at them, they look like they're as old as Petra, but like I mean you see them and you can just imagine all the life that would have been happening in them in their day and like nothing about that seems impoverished. Right? 
Yeah. So I was like, it's it's funny that I thought that because it actually becomes relevant later, as we'll mm, see. Okay. One of the production leaders on this team recognizes Ye as an educated individual and mm-hmm. asks if she speaks any other languages. It's the glasses. It's the glasses. And she's like, why? And he's like, well, we need someone who can talk to Bethune. Bethune. So I know what you're thinking. What a beautiful name that is no. a beautiful name but also i mean it sounds like it'd be like the name of like an angel from the old testament or something i know right you're so right that is what it sounds like like uh be not beelzebub that's a different Be- one i know i was like that's not who is Bethune? Well, Bethune is a nickname that they've given to a foreigner okay. who's been living up in the hills planting trees for the last three years. Does that mean something? Bethune was Norman Bethune, 1890 to 1939. Oh, it's somebody's name. Okay, got it. Yes. He was a Canadian surgeon, an early advocate of socialized medicine, and a member of the Communist Party of Canada. And he later helped bring modern medicine in two rural China. Oh, cool. Treating both sick villagers and wounded soldiers. He heavily supported the Chinese Communist Party and he earned the profound respect of Mao Zedong himself who actually wrote a eulogy dedicated to Bethune when he died in 1939. Oh, and his wow. Name is, his name is honored in China to this day. So they're calling this American guy Bethune. Got it. Okay. By the way, he died of blood poisoning oh. after accidentally cutting his finger while operating on a wounded soldier. Oh, man. Right? What a way to go. Just like a little accidental cut and you get full-blown blood poisoning. We take Z-Packs for granted. We really do. Anyway, the 30s. So so they're calling this guy Bethune. They're calling this guy Bethune. Yeah, he's like, who's Bethune? They're like, he's this guy. He's a foreigner. He's living up in the hills. He's been living there and planting trees for three years. And someone's like, what is he planting trees for? And they say he's planting them for the birds. Some kind of bird that's about to go to a go extinct or something i don't know and yay and her colleagues are interested so they ask the production leader to bring them up for a visit and they follow along this long trail and mind you everything in this region is pretty barren there's no vegetation okay just like pretty you know we know that china spent a long time slashing and burning i mean when she helped with a lot of it that's right so as they come over this hill from this trail yay when feels like she's just walked into an entirely different world because suddenly it is bright fucking green oh cool and you know i was like i know what this is like la after the rain you know you go from very that an absolute arid brown dry all the color comes back the air is breathable yeah then it rains exactly it's so breathable it's so lush it's so green it literally the color you feel like you're in the wizard of oz it becomes fern gully yeah oh very that like yeah you're just like whoa technicolor you realize like you how you, we can be actually kind of color deprived. Like yeah. we can be deprived of certain wavelengths of light. And then when you do experience them, it's truly like. It's almost like sensory overload. Yeah. It's yeah. stimulating in a new way. So these slopes are just green forests. It looks like an old canvas has been accidentally splashed with some wet green paint. Pretty. And amid this jungle. They see the foreigner. Bethune. Bethune. He's blonde. He's got green eyes. He's got tattered jeans and a jacket like a cowboy's. Cowboy take me away. 
work. He's hot. I'm thinking at first I was thinking he's like he could be like more crust punk, but he's he's like a Brad Pitt, I feel like, living in, Vi- in the job. <gasps> I'm like, is this Brad Pitt's role? Interesting. But is he acting I think or he's, just producing I it? I think he's only executive producing it. So this rugged, blonde-haired, green-eyed cowboy expat living and building the forests of the northwestern region of China. What a dream. Comes over. I, you know, he's probably like a little dirty. He's just like wipes his forehead and he's like, howdy. Name's Evans. Mike Evans. And he's clearly American, though he doesn't introduce himself as an American. Uh-huh. You know when you're talking to an American. His accent, his demeanor, they both betray him. And he's living in a simple adobe hut. Okay. Filled with hoes and shovels and pruning shears, all things that you would need to plant trees. And even those tools are made locally and are somewhat crude. Okay. There's a pile of books, some biology, including one book called Animal Liberation. By mm. Peter Singer. We love a book within a book. We right? love. So I'm not going to do a deep reenactment. Not like Silent Spring. I did not love like that Silent though. Spring. I know that was one of my favorite episodes. Well, hopefully we got to do something like that again. But today is not tale. that day. I know that it was truly a fairy tale. I mean, just such a visionary writer the way she did that. But Animal Liberation by Peter Singer is a 1975 book by Australian philosopher Peter Singer. And it's considered to be one of the founding philosophical uh, texts behind the animal liberation movement. Okay. And he popularized the term speciesism, which I feel like is pretty Mm self-explanatory. He acknowledges in the book that there are some important differences between humans and other animals and that these differences must give rise to some differences in the rights that each one has. Mm, Yeah. Singer argues against what he calls speciesism. Okay. A.K.A. discrimination on the grounds of belonging to a certain species. Okay. Which we certainly are. I mean, yeah. He holds that, and this is from the Wikipedia page, the interests of all beings capable of suffering to be worthy of equal consideration. Mm. And that giving any lesser consideration to beings based on their species is no more justified than discrimination based on skin color. He argues that animal rights should be based on their capacity to feel pain more than on their intelligence. Interesting you say that because just this past year, scientists said nearly definitively that insects appear to be able to experience pain. No. So when you squash a bug, it doesn't feel nothing. Oh, fuck. I've killed so many ants this year. You're the ant bully. I am the of the ants, (laughs) sadly. But no, I am. And you know what? At a different point in time i could be tried for war crimes or for you know what i mean like if peter singer's right and like if one day like we do if we treat all species equally goodness okay sorry continue i don't know what insects have a right to he argues that animals rights should be based on their capacity to feel pain more than on their intelligence in particular he argues that while animals show lower intelligence than the average human many and mind you this was written in 1975 but he's like many severely intellectually challenged humans show equally diminished if not lower mental capacity and some animals have displayed signs of intelligence for example we know that primates are capable of learning American sign language Mm -hmm. and other symbolic languages and they're sometimes on par with the intelligence of human children therefore intelligence Intelligence does not provide a basis for giving non-human animals any less consideration Mm. 
than such intellectually challenged humans. It's a strong argument. He concludes that the most practical solution is to adopt a vegetarian or vegan diet. So, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a huge conclusion, but I get why. Because he doesn't want to like... I mean, it's 1975. He's making some pretty bold statements here. He wants his argument to be bulletproof, which yeah. I'm guessing is no longer a politically correct term to use. Ironclad, I suppose we should say. I don't know. Iron is technically a metal used in defense in war settings <laughs> in war we can't say settings. anything anymore <laughs> truly we should just shut up think of all the data we're saving <laughs> so she sees that book so that gives you a kind of an idea about who this evans guy is i mean i really don't even feel like i need to say more but i'm going to because i love your lighting right now these are some intense colors did you get a new light it looks so good they look like filters i feel like i don't need to say anything more because Xin Lu has done such a good job of character building and yeah. so little time but i must go on so i shall crust punk brad pitt <laughs> is like sorry i don't have any drinks to offer you and Ye wenji's colleagues is like that's Fine. What are you doing here? Do yeah. you mind me asking? And he goes, I'm saving lives. And they're like, of the locals? Because, I mean, they're poor, sure. But the conditions, you know, they're... And he cuts him right off. He goes, so he's fully triggered. He's like, all of you people are the same. All you do is think about the people. Why does someone have to be saving people to be considered a hero? And I mean, it's true. I was like thinking of like Marvel and DC superheroes. None of them are like animal rescuers. I mean, we say the word a lot. Anthrocentric. Anthrocentric. Animal rescuers is more like a kid's show. And I wouldn't watch it. Period. (laughs) But you know what? I don't really watch Marvel either. He's like, period. And so Ye is like, I heard you're trying to save some kind of bird. And he's like, yeah, a swallow. It's a subspecies of a northwestern brown swallow. The Latin name I won't get into. It's too long and you guys don't have the attention span for it. But each year they follow an ancient migratory pattern from the south. They only nest here. But year after year, the forest diminishes and disappears. And they can find no trees to build their nests. When I discovered them as a species, they had only 10,000 of them left. And if that continues, they'll be extinct in five years time oh wow he allows yay and the others to look through his telescope where they can see these birds that are now in the nests in the trees that he planted and someone says they're not very pretty are they and he says no they're no giant panda every day some species that isn't cute enough for human attention goes extinct and i mean not no like truly i wouldn't be mad if the mosquitoes went extinct and i was thinking this today because i was scrolling on instagram and i always get like one of those canine rescue Mm -hmm. posts like from the dodo yeah or like just from like you know i don't know i follow like canine rescue pages because i'm always like oh should i adopt a dog got it and i passed this one dog and it was an absolutely hideous dog not in a cute way like in a scary way like this dog makes me scared i would never want to go near it oh and i felt really bad because I think it was ugly and scary probably because of like abuse it had suffered like I think yeah. it was missing like some lips and it was just really ugly and That's so scary. sad and it's just not you know it's still deserving of love yeah. and a good home and I can't help but want a cute dog and humans are really fucked up that way yeah just another thing to add to the list so that's Evans's point and he says he started planting these trees and he used to pay people to 
plant saplings and help with the irrigation, but it just got too expensive and his father wouldn't fund him anymore. And he doesn't want his father's money anyhow. So he does all the planting himself. Hmm. And his father, we learn, is an oil magnet. Oh, so he's like rich, rich. He's rich, honey. He's money, money, money. He's like oil money, Texas money, big money. I mean, we hate oil, but like we love money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly Evans's point. And, and that's what his father says. So get this. So Evan sits down and he begins to tell his little Texan son of an oil magnet origin story. Okay. And it goes a little something in my mind like this. Yes, I love when this happens. Once upon a time, when I was just 12 years old, a tanker from my father's oil company ran aground in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Well, not the middle, but somewhere near the coast. Spilling over $20,000 of crude oil into the sea. I was on vacation at the time with my parents. And my family heard the news. And soon as my father heard, his first thought was, how can I avoid responsibility? How can I minimize damage to the company? That afternoon, I went for a walk along the coast. See, we were staying at the beach on vacation. And I see this hellish scene. The waves were weak from the weight of the oil. The sea was pitch black and slick. The sand itself was covered by a layer of black, crude oil, and I began to help these local volunteers search for birds on the beach that were still alive. I could still see them now. They were like little black statues covered in oil, unable to move, only able to tell if they were alive by the look in their eyes poking out from the oil. These little eyes staring out from the black haunts me to this very day. We tried using detergent to clean their little feathers, but it's so difficult to brush the oil off without taking the feathers off with them. Most of the birds died by nightfall. Sunset over that dark black sea, and I felt like... The whole world was ending. My father came up behind me and he said, Hello, son. I know you're sad, but don't be sad. Remember that small dinosaur we discovered during that oil exploration? And Evans is like, yeah, daddy, you mean the one that you bought? He's like, yes, that one. Well, I paid a handsome sum for that dinosaur. And and you remember how after we found that fossil, you had nightmares that you were living during the Cretaceous period and you were just terrified. And Evans is like, yeah, I remember, of course. Well, son, that was not as terrifying of an era as you think. In fact, there is no era more terrifying than the one that we live in now. We live in the age of mass extinction, son. These seabirds, they're just a small blip in a huge process of mass extinction that's going on worldwide. And and there's nothing we can do to stop that. The truth is, son, we don't need seabirds. We need oil. Think about it. You can't drive that Ferrari I got you without oil. And you can't fly on a plane without oil. I mean, without oil, you'd have to sail a sailboat for three months just to get back home to Texas. These are the rules of civilization. The first priority is to guarantee the existence of the human race and their comfortable life. Everything else, son, is secondary. I mean, if that ain't the truth. I know. At least in how people operate. Dark. And I was actually thinking also, like, his dad is doing, I learned recently from our good friend Michelle, friend of the pod, 
who is an astrologer, she was reading this book that was talking about the four types of non-listening. Okay. And it's based on like the elements, right? So like you've got your earth way of non-listening, which is like earth signs are super practical. They're solution oriented. So instead of like listening, they're going to try and solve problems. They're going to be like, well, have you tried this? Hi, it's me. You know, <laughs> a an air sign, yours truly, will be dismissive. Change the subject. Be like, ooh, that sucks. Anyway, you know. <laughs> or like, mm, yeah, have you, you know, just subject changer. A fire sign will go like toxic positivity. Oh. You know, actually, this is this is good, you know. And a water sign will overly empathize, right? Like the kind of person mm-hmm. who just like immediately, like instead of making you feel heard, just tells a story about themselves. Like, Little Pisces. Yeah. And it's like, it's like all of these things can be done in moderation like sure it's good yeah to like offer positivity to offer solution to empathize all that jazz but they can also be forms of non-listening mm, and i feel like mm-hmm. evans's dad i don't know which one he was but he certainly was not listening yeah he's a fucking trip and like a it's so banshee. dark he's a fucking banshee he's you know he's just like oil over birds son so, I mean, that obviously, like, disgusted Evans because, like, Evans doesn't seem, at least in this present day, to, like, live his life that way. Yeah, well, so going back into Evans' story, he says, I didn't grow up to be anything my father wanted me to be at all. I studied biology, not finance, not business. I wanted to save animals. Aww. I became a specialist in birds and insects, and I came up with my own ideology or faith, whatever you may call it called pan-species communism. Oh. The fundamental tenet of which is all species are equal. Hmm. Ye wasn't sure she heard that term correctly, and, and she, she's like, I beg your pardon? Pan-species communism. I invented it. It's an ideology or faith. He likens where the human race is with regard to other species to where the human race was with regard to slavery Mm, okay you know where it's like once upon a time we thought like a whole subsect of living beings were inferior and not capable of things that white people were capable of and it's like it's just a matter of time before we realize that like animals are entitled to the same rights as us too Hmm. and okay and everything that we do now is going to seem backwards and primitive and brutal He's like, it's a natural continuation of universal declaration of human rights. Ye is super intrigued, but she's not letting on. She goes, and how long do you plan to stay here? And he says, I don't know. I'm devoting my whole life to the task. If I have to, it's a beautiful feeling, and I don't expect any of you to understand. Evans loses interest in the combo at this point, and he goes back to work on, you know, his tree plant. I got trees to plant, yeah. Yeah, I got trees to plant. It was nice talking to you all, and uh, have a great day. He doesn't give a shit what they're up to. Yeah. But as he leaves, he and Ye exchange a little glance, and I'm like, oh, my God, are we going to have a new romance? Ooh. He sees just a little glint in Ye's eye that is different from the others. And as they walk back down the hill, Ye and her colleagues chit-chatting. And one of her colleagues recites Chairman Mao's eulogy on old Bethune. Oh. And he says, noble-minded and pure, a man of moral integrity and above vulgar interests. There really are people who live like that, I guess. And some of them are admiring Evans. Some of them I feel like are a little more like, what a nut job. Right, yeah. But Ye is like, if there were more people like that, things would have turned out different. Mm. 
and no one really understands what what she really means but we all we know what yay really means yeah well says the task force leader i don't think this site is going to work for the radio oh. observatory sorry to bring you guys all out this way but uh <laughs> we're, we're gonna have to go back Just home now validate your parking ticket <laughs> yikes uh, and they're like, why not? I mean, it has great, it has the best electromagnetic environment we've seen. And the task force manager is like, you're thinking too much about the technical side. Think about the human environment. Mm. Look how poor this place is. The poorer a village, the craftier the people, he says. I feel like that's really backhanded. Really backhanded. I mean, it, he goes, if we are here, there's no doubt trouble would brew between the scientists and the locals. The peasants will think of this place as a juicy piece of meat for them to take a bite out of. Rude. He does not have nice things to say about the peasants. Classist much? Majorly classist, yeah. I was like, that's fucked up. But then I was also like, maybe he has a point. You can see both sides, like, or I can see both sides because say they do build it here, right? They're gonna, that means like there's gonna be more people living in this town. Sure, it brings gentrification. It brings gentrification. There's good, but it could be, you know, it's gonna bring more access, more Mm -hmm. jobs, more money, more, but also it's like, are these villagers asking for any of that? Or any of them like, at what cost? Yeah, asking to be saved by like some, you know, project that. It's going to like develop the town or are they just happy living in their cave? Like, it brings me back to the first thing I was saying of like, are they actually impoverished? Like poverty sometimes feels like something you can only identify from a place of wealth and privilege. But I don't know. And also, I guess largely more largely to the point what this person leading the group is saying is like what they're not saying but what they're saying is like to set up shop here is going to take a level of diplomacy that we're not really looking to invest in the place we just want to go to a place and build and just do our thing and not have to worry with anything outside of our own motivations basically yeah and i'm thinking of like maybe now People living in poverty have the ability to know that they're living in poverty because they mm. they're because of social media and right. you know what I mean the internet and all that. But back then, during this time when yet it's like the seventies, right? Largely disconnected by today's standards. Exactly, like these quote unquote like cave dwelling villagers have no concept that they you know of like what other types of standards of living there are yeah sure 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 yeah so it is it is kind of insulting what he's saying it is mostly condescending and just like that the site is not approved for the aforementioned reasons and that was the last yay would ever hear of evans or so she thought Three whole years go by with no further word, no other utterance, no sense of them crossing paths between Ye Wenji and Mike Evans. But then one spring day, a postcard comes in the mail for Ye, and it's addressed from Evans, and the message is simple. He says, come here. 
tell me how to go on. Ye Wenji packs up her things, goes to the train station, and she boards the afternoon train, rides for a full day and a full night, and then she switches to a bus because obviously the train doesn't go all the way out to this remote village. And she's on this bus for the remainder of the trip, and she finally arrives at this small village set out in the hills of the northwest. It had obviously been a while since Ye was here last, but as soon as she climbs up the hill, she recognizes the surroundings. The trees that were being planted the last time she was there have all grown by leaps and bounds. It's just like a thriving, healthy forest that's in front of her. Wow. She scans over the growth of all the trees, and she spots an area that's been clear-cut, and she sees actual active logging activity taking place. The longer she looks, Ye sees the logging operation actually taking place in every direction. It's almost like how when she was there last time, they used that telescope to see just like tiny flits of birds going between the trees. The longer she looks, she's like, oh my god, there's a logging camp. Oh my god, there's another one. No, they're cutting down all of these trees. What are they doing? Oh no. This area that had once been planned to be a sanctuary by Mike Evans was now meeting this like kind of an all too familiar fate that Ye Wenji knew very well from her time working for the construction corps. It really strikes a chord in her heart and it's a painful one. Someone calls out to Ye Wenji. She turns around and realizes she recognizes this person and from her last trip, if you remember the production team leader, it's the same guy except now we've got a job upgrade He's now the village chief. Okay. And when she sees him, she's like, what's happening here? Like, why is this forest being clear cut? This doesn't make any sense. The village chief is like, well, I mean, it's not like the forest is protected. What do you want me to do? He's like, of course it's protected. The forestry law is widely known to be in effect in the whole country. Like, all of the forests are protected. What are you talking about? Village chief is like, right, but it wasn't a forest until Bethune started planting all these trees like who gave him permission to replant these trees here in the first place honestly planting anything without approval would surely be forbidden by law don't you think no and Ye's like, this makes no sense. This is insane. It's not like he was taking up farmland. It's not like he was taking up area that otherwise would have been crops. He's planting trees on the barren hills to help repopulate a population of animals. Plus, when he started doing all this work, you didn't have a problem with it then. So, like, what's the problem now? I'm confused. Village chief is like, I mean, yeah, you're right. We had planned to cut these trees down all along, but it seemed silly to cut down saplings. It's best to slaughter the hog when it's fattened up don't you think no so dark it's like just biding their time waiting for the moment they can literally just like pull out the chainsaws absolutely horrified by the chief's sentiment ye wenji threatens to call in the logging activity to the government and the village chief is like call him if you want to there's no point he points off into the distance and he's like look over there do you see that and he's pointing at this massive logging truck he's like you see that truck that's a gift from the county's forestry bureau they know they don't care frustrated yeah he's like fuck this this is so messed up she walks down to evan's hut because i mean that is the reason she's here in the first place pick your battles yay and it looks exactly like she left it all the same books all the same tools minimal in its aesthetic but no evans anywhere to be found so he's like what the fuck how is he gonna send me a letter to come help him figure out how to carry on but then he's not even gonna like be here when i actually get here so she starts a search she goes looking through the village she winds up on the outskirts and she's like there's only one place he can be 
see. So she heads out into the forest, and when she finds Mike Evans, he's standing in the woods holding an axe, pruning a tree by hand, just ever so carefully, removing off the shoots that the tree doesn't need so it can continue getting stronger. Evans knows, in the grand scheme of things, that pruning trees is ultimately meaningless. I mean, he can look around and see all the logging activity that's going on, but he continues on anyway, because it's almost like that's all he knows how to do, slash, that's like kind of all he's built for at this point. He's like, I don't want to be a rich kid anymore. So he's just like out, you know, connecting with the trees. And also kind of like deep down in his heart, I feel like he knows that like these trees are in his care because he planted them. So he kind of has an obligation to take care of them, even though he knows all of them are going to fall inevitably. Like it's really sad and really beautiful and just kind of like, I don't know, kind of like breaks your heart for the guy. Yeah. Yeah is like, Evans, even if all these trees are going to fall, why don't we do what we can to try and get this logging activity stopped? Let's just go to the government offices in the county and present our case to them and see if they'll help us. And then worst case, if they don't want to help us, we'll just start working our way higher up the ladder until we can secure some kind of intervention. Like, don't you think that's a good plan? Shouldn't we at least try that? Evans looks at Ye and it's in the last moments of sunset, just like beautiful golden light bathing them in this thicket of the woods. And he's like, Ye, do you really think I'm worried about not stopping them? My dad died recently and he left me everything. Like four and a half billion dollars. Everything. I could easily pay off all these people and have them planting a whole new forest by tomorrow. But what would be the point? And he's like, okay, now I'm really confused. Yeah, what, what about you, the swallows? What are you getting at? Like, what was all this for then in the first place? Evans is like, yay, you have to understand everything you see is because of poverty. Wealthy countries protect their own environments and intentionally pollute poorer countries' environments. Humanity is the exact same. As long as humanity continues to develop, the swallows that I want to save will go extinct regardless. Like fundamentally, if we don't change everything about how we are and how we operate, it's all meaningless anyway. Oh, shit. All the while, Ye Wenji is having flashbacks to her time working at the construction corps when she read Silent Spring in the first place. She's like, this is crazy. I never thought I would meet somebody like the journalist who gave me that book in the first place. Like, we are speaking the same language here, brother. Evan says to Ye, he's like, do you know what brought me here in the first place? To China, to the countryside? Like, what made me leave my life in Texas and brought me out in the middle of nature? She's like, no, what? He's like, pan-species communism. Those seeds sprout a long time ago right here. And Ye's like, Re your religion? Your religion is what made you leave? Like, if your dad's worth four and a half billion dollars, your made-up religion is what made you walk away from all that? Like, do you mean you're thinking about Buddhism? Because, like, that sprouted here a long time ago, but, like, pan-species communism, didn't you say you made that up? What are you talking about? <laughs> and Evans is like, let me put it this way. Christianity's focus is the human. And then he gives the example from the Bible. He's like, even though Noah saved two of every animal species from the great flood, those animals weren't treated as equals to the humans on board the ark. He's like, but Buddhism's focus, though, is solely focused on saving all life. That's what brought me here. But now that I'm here, I realize that everything is all the same. Life is meaningless. <laughs> Oh, God. That's so dark. Like, I mean, like, even the way you said it, like, with this grin, I'm just like, wait. Cute like, I'm existential crisis. Life is meaningless. Like, yeah. saying it with a smile is 
scary. It's like, I mean, wait, what are you about to do? Like, what are you about to pull the trigger on? You know? Exactly. And it's a very real realization that Evans is having. Like, no matter what system a person is brought up under, what religion they're taught, what God they pray to, which flag to which they pledge their allegiance. Like, at the end of the day, he's realizing that, like, oh, this condition is a human one and we're all the same, no matter what systems we operate under. And Ye's like, you are preaching to the choir, brother. Believe me, I know. I've known it for a long time. At this point, Evans is at a total loss. He's like, what can I actually do now? What's my purpose? I have more money than God. I own an international oil company. But for what? For every dollar I have, I would bet you that humanity has invested 10 times that amount saving a species that's nearing extinction. They've probably invested 100 times that to try to stop environmental degradation. So what? And I'm like, no, Evans, you were so like dead set. And he's just like degrading in real time. He's like, civilization ensures that the humans that are in it will survive without ever thinking of the cost to anything else that lives around them. It's sad, but true. It made me want to go get like an electric vehicle, like put my house on solar, never use plastic. I mean, like all the things I'm like, save the turtles, like all the things I'm like, oh man, like intentional or not, you and I right now even are part of that problem. We're products of that system. We are just taking up resources and data i mean i'll never forget in college in this in this um philosophy course it was like there was a whole i feel like the whole class we read different theories on the ethics of having children Mm. and like there's a lot of people that say it's like extremely just on the basis of ethics unethical to have children period yeah i always make the joke when i find out somebody is pregnant i go in this economy (laughs) and in more words or less mike evans is basically relaying the same ideas that come across in silent spring that like if humanity doesn't fundamentally alter how it operates we are truly looking at waking up to the dawn of a spring morning and hearing nothing having no life no birds no animals no collection of the thing that makes what it is to be on earth and it's directly tied to our own activity and it's really breaking him in this moment you hear that billionaires (laughs) if you guys don't change we're gonna eat the rich i wish so Ye interrupts him and she's like, Mike, I know this is a hard realization for you to have. Trust me, I've had it too and it's a heavy one. And all I can say is humanity is not capable of improving with its own strength. And Evans is like, okay then, what source of power exists outside of humanity and outside of our civilization? I mean, be real. Let's just assume I believe in God. Even if he existed, he died a long time ago. Ye takes a moment and she finally says... There are other powers. This is it. I'm like beginning to see like, okay, he's got a billion dollars. She's got ideas. Like I'm seeing how things develop maybe. As the sun finally set and the loggers and all the camps packed their tools to return to their homes, Ye Wenji told Evans from the very beginning the story of Red Coast Base and the messages sent to and received from the Trisolarans. Mike Evans is like a kid at story time. He's hanging on every word that she says and as Ye concludes her story the moon rising in all its brightness casts these dappled shadows down on them 
them on the forest floor. Evans is rightfully amazed by the story he's just heard. I mean, she's just told him conclusively, hey, buddy, there's aliens out there and they want to come to Earth and they want to get revenge, I guess, for all the things that have been going on because I've pretty much told them everything of how it's going down here. Uh. The dream to hear someone with like reputable experience to tell you just like they're real. Now I've spoken to them and this is exactly how it went and just without a shred of doubt, one can dream. And Evan says to Ye, Ye, I can hardly believe what you've just told me. But lucky for you, I have the resources to confirm every last detail that you've just given me. Ye, if everything that you told me is true, and then he holds out his hand to shake hands with Ye Wenji. And the book says he that Mike Evans speaks the words to her that every following member of the Earth Trisolaris organization would say as they joined, let us be comrades. And the ETO is born. Ooh! And that is the end of the chapter. I had no idea. I'm I'm officially in uncharted waters with this Bombshell. book. And I'm just like, ooh. Can I not say that anymore? <laughs> and we can't say anything. We're being muzzled. We're being silenced. Shadow banned. It would be really funny and like ironic and like post cancel culture to just walk around maybe i told you this already but like to walk around in like sweatshirts and like hats like unironically that just say like lockheed martin on them like <laughs> i mean no i'm not kidding i think i have a lockheed martin baseball cap that i found you like do? A goodwill or something it's so funny yeah it's an insane company to like rep the swag of like oh is that your like 50 year no you're like your 25 year anniversary sort of like swag you know yeah, what i mean or like it's one of your parents works for them or something so you go to all the company parties just like a sweatshirt this is halliburton and like i have unreal <laughs> unreal anyway if you've gotten this far that means likely you are finished getting ready you have driven to work and you are now sitting down at the computer moving at the pace of a snail because you are so gripped by the story of mike evans that's what i or hope anyway yeah or perhaps you've finished dinner and you've made yourself a nice mug my favorite dish and you're just getting ready to wind down Regardless of where you are and what you're doing. I mean, it is Wind Down Wednesday with Radar Peak. Oh, it really is. Wind Mm -hmm. down with us every Wednesday. Well, guys, next week, chapter 28 and 29, we're going to be getting deep into the Earth Trisolaris movement. And uh, that would also be a good hat, the ETO. Yeah, I smell merch. But in the meantime, if you enjoy this podcast and you just want more, and listen, you're going to want more, especially when season one ends. Where can they find it? You can find it at patreon.com slash Radar Peak. What's on there? You'll find bonus content, exclusive bonus episodes. You can even get an I Ching reading from Ooh. yours truly. How much money are we talking? We're talking Do I have to be the son of an oil magnate to join? No, you don't. Just the price of a cup of coffee every month at our lowest tier and at our highest tier, the, the price of a cup of matcha every day. <laughs> 
check it out. It really helps us to keep on keeping the lights on and keeping the data stored, you know, because data ain't free. It's a lot of data. Bits and bits and bits. (laughs) Thank you again for joining us. Happy Wednesday. And if you enjoy this podcast, please give us a review and tell your friends about us. We'd be so grateful. The more, the merrier. Stay sexy and don't get abducted by aliens. I was like, please don't steal Georgia and Karen's sign off. I know. I'm like, we need a sign off. But I guess like part of our sign off is never having a sign off. True. Well, I mean, it's been fun. I'm glad we're out of the boring part of the past. You know, like Ye Winji is still in the countryside, but she's not like wasting her days being frail and just like needing everybody to prop her up. I like her back in her seat of power. So yeah, it's going to be a fun week next week. But until then, I'm done saying words. So we'll see you next time. Good night. Bye. You've been listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast. Subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for exclusive content we might not have time for, subscribe to our Patreon. One last thing before you go. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review and tell your friends about us. Join in on the conversation when you follow us on Twitter at Radar Peak Pod. See you there.